bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And happy misogynist of the week, Erica. Yay. I feel like there's <laughs> I feel like there's racism everywhere though. And very little misogyny. It's true. It's true. Or or at least the racism is overshadowing the misogyny. That's right. Cause there's obviously an uptick in homophobia right in time for Pride Month. So Yay. We Yay. humans are really something. <laughs> I just feel like marginalized communities are under attack. And I'm just like, this podcast has been basically talking about every which way we are under attack for like four years. And now yeah. people are and now people are like starting to get it. And you're just like, wow. Mm-hmm. So it took some dead bodies. How mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, because you've got like Black History Month, you've got Women's History Month, you've got Asian Heritage Month, and then you've got Indigenous History Month that is also Pride Month, and it's just like cis white people just be like, where, what, how, hello? We don't need them to. We don't need them to shout every, out. Every day is a, a celebration. Every day is a celebration of them. <laughs> every fucking day. Actually. Think about the the tragedies. Well, the first one isn't really a tragedy, but like, so in March, we had the trial of Derek Chauvin. Then mm. we, in May, we had um, the one-year anniversary of George Floyd and all the mm. protests and so on and so forth. By the way, there was Dan Rather, of all people on Twitter. If you don't follow Dan Rather, I recommend. Dan Rather, tw- yeah, I know, the most <laughs> random. T- he's, <laughs> he's funny. He, like, you know when you're old and you don't give a fuck? That's Dan Rather on Twitter. Okay. So he tweeted out um, a study that showed that the Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful, but except when infiltrated by counter-protesters and police. Like, there's evidence now. Like, there's a study Mm -hmm. and shit. And I know how you like studies and surveys and stuff. (laughs) Anyway, um... So who's our misogynist of the week? Oh, wait, I didn't finish. Okay, wait. Black Lives Matter. Then Israel, Palestine. Mm -hmm. Then um, residential schools. Mm -hmm. Then the Islamophobic attack in London. Mm -hmm. And now we're Friday. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're under attack. Just consistently. And against the backdrop of anti-Asian violence. Sure, yeah. Because, yeah, the Atlanta shootings were in, what, April? So. Oh, were those April? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, cool. It's been a chill few months. I feel like we've all been affected. Except white people. Although, I feel I will throw some of them a little bit of a bone. Because I, like, they're just like, oh, I'm so tired. Yeah, welcome to our lives. Bad shit happens all the time. So now you know how we feel all the time. Yeah, imagine they get to opt out. That's some fucked up privilege right there. Anyway. Anyway, oh. it's misogynist of the week. These and, are uh, not our misogynists of the week, by the way. But And uh, our misogynist of the week is, I mean, the episode title says Kim's Convenience, but it's a little bit more specific, you know? 
Um, it's more the the showrunners of Kim's, Kim's convenience for the way that they treated their cast, who were the stars of the show, who gave the show the charm that it had. So what's a showrunner, Aaron? So great question, Erica. Um, as someone who listens to a lot of pop culture podcasts, <laughs> um, the showrunner is not necessarily the executive producers of a show. They may be the same, but more often than not, they're the people who conceived of the idea uh, and who are basically leading the show. So um, when you say, when you see created by. Yes. In opening credits, that yeah. would be the showrunner. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, executive producers are generally like managers or funders of the show. Um, mm -hmm. And then a show, depending on how it's released and how many episodes there are in a season, um, it may they may have different directors for every episode, or mm -hmm. if it's like a special project like a six episode thing they may just have a single director um who is directing the whole thing mm -hmm. um but yeah showrunners are generally involved in the conception of the idea and heavily involved in the writing of the scripts so a showrunner could be an executive producer but usually the executive Pro yeah no a showrunner can be the executive producer so I think I so I think that Reese Witherspoon that is was probably a, a good is a good I think Reese Witherspoon's a good example here because I okay. think she was a showrunner or played a very um, outsized role in Big Little Lies. Like she was definitely an executive producer. Like mm -hmm. so, like her production company bought the rights to from of the book to make the show, and then she helped fund it through a production company. Um, and then I think she also help write work well i guess that, that's not exactly a perfect example because the author of the book also wrote the script more or less mm -hmm. um, which is why it was such a close adaptation mm -hmm. um but yeah they're they're generally the more they're definitely more on the creative side right whereas the, the executive producers is more management yeah okay or yeah. like a project manager or something like yeah that. Okay. Making Got sure, it. yeah, steering, steering the boat, making sure things stay on course. So they would hire the writers and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. And, and be involved in the casting, yeah. assuming that they would have a casting director who would take care of that. They would choose the casting director. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That yeah. actually is quite clear. Um, so Simu, who wrote a really extensive Facebook post. Mm -hmm. um, was it last week? A, f a few days on, ago. It was on June 2nd. Okay. So late last week. And basically um, said, just talked about his experience on the show. As we know, the show is not going, it's going to end after five seasons. Um Apparently, originally, they were slotted to do a sixth season. Mm -hmm. But I believe um, the showrunners or the producers, is it the producers who decided that they were just going to, you know, like, peace out? 
the pro- yeah, it was the producers. Um, yeah. And that was announced shortly after the fifth season wrapped and finished airing in, sorry, wrapped in March of this year. Um, and it was, so part of the issue was like, people like, oh, like, let's save it. Cause there was a whole bunch of revivals, particularly over the course of the pandemic. And like before that of like revitalizing pre-existing intellectual property mm-hmm. um, and like it moving networks. But it's more that this, these specific people who own the intellectual property chose not to continue it. And, you know, it's not as though it was quote unquote canceled which is generally what happens. Right. It was just like, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there is, so he's saying, he's saying, I wanted to be a part of the sixth season. I've heard a lot of speculation surrounding myself specifically about how getting a Marvel role meant I was suddenly to Hollywood for Canadian TV. I really wanted to touch on this. So I, I really resent this, yes. <laughs> I just wonder if we resent it for the same reasons. Probably. Um, so Simu ha- is got a Marvel role in a role in the Marvel franchise in their next movie. I cannot mm-hmm. remember what the name of the it's, movie is. It's Shang-Chi. And it comes okay. out in, in like I think September. Um, sh- so first of all, shout out to him. Oh, it looks so good! I can't wait to see it. Um, and I have a problem because this is a tall poppy syndrome that mm. that, that occurs in this friggin' country. Is that he became too Hollywood for Canadian TV? What the what the hell does that mean? Is this guy supposed to work within the the very limited confines of Canadian TV and not try to do more, be more, mm-hmm. whatever whatever his goals are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't see the problem with him. I I thought you know when I first heard that news, I thought good for him. Congratulations. That's what I thought. Because first of all, let's talk about the underrepresentation of Asians in Hollywood. One. Number one. Number two, for an actor of color to make that transition is huge. As a no-name, basically. As a no-name. Right? Like, everyone who else is in Marvel, the Marvel universe, you generally know who they are. Um, but you, before they get to Marvel. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely. the point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like his ma- biggest credit was Kim's. Yeah. And like, yes, absolutely. The tall poppy thing, but you know, too big for Canadian TV to whose standards, right? Like, well, why is uh, Canadian TV so fucking small? Is the one. question. But also, we're not saying that about Catherine O'Hara or Eugene Levy. Or Dan. Or Dan Levy, right? Like, huh, what do they all have in common? Oh, they're white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he, being Asian, is too big for Canadian TV, even though we've got, even though Shit's Creek is now like a massive hit because it was put on Netflix. Yeah, which which 
<laughs> I have questions about CBC's decision making, to be honest, because I have Gem because now they're only releasing their shit on Gem is shit. Gem is a shit app. But I didn't expect anything more from Canadians because, again, this tall poppy syndrome means that we're supposed to be we're supposed to shrink ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hated. <clears throat> this idea that shrinking yourself is a value. Fuck mm -hmm. you. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I just need to get that off my chest because shout out to him. The man was an unknown had and he said something about, hey, that took a lot of grit and determination. I said, I bet you it did. I bet oh, totally. you it did, you know? OK, so I've seen like three piece, like three episodes of the show. It was fine. But like one of the problems I really like growth arcs mm. over time in general. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like Schick's Creek didn't have a growth arc as much and neither did Kim's Convenience. Mm -hmm. I know people are going to tell me how great she's. I get it. Okay. It's an enjoyable show. I get why people absolutely love it. I get the memes. I get the gifts. I get it all. I get it. Yeah. But for me, I just... For me, I only have a certain amount of time to watch these things, so I'm looking for something else. Well, yeah, and sorry, just to your point, is that, like, yeah. you can say, like, oh, it's a sitcom, they're not supposed to, like, grow and evolve. I would dispute that and say that, like, even though, like, in Friends, Ross and Rachel end up together, there is character growth kind of on both sides. You can do character growth in comedy. And the whole reason that a show like Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm is funny is because there's no character growth. like that's the purpose of the yeah. show is to yeah. be like this person is garbage yeah they have no growth arc whatsoever because they are f a flat character they're a fuddy-duddy yeah we're celebrating these flat funny characters yeah. which in a way was the whole brilliance of those shows but anyway um i so that's that's another thing but I can tell that he was pissed off about this too, mm. about, you know, he said, I was, however, growing increasingly frustrated with the way my character was being portrayed and somewhat related was also increasingly frustrated with the way I was being treated. Um, it was always my understanding that the lead actors were the stewards of the character and would grow to have more creative insight as the show went on. Imagine my disappointment year after year, knowing that Jung was just stuck at handy and in absolutely no hurry to improve himself in any right. way. Um, more importantly, the characters never seem to grow. I that can seems so unimmigrant to me. <laughs> like, just stuck at handy in absolutely no, I, in no hurry to improve himself. That's so. Like, there was part of a storyline where he. It feels xenophobic. <laughs> Totally. And like part of, there was part of a storyline where like he w went on to, and I haven't watched season five yet just because it's not on Netflix and I don't have CBC yet. Don't bother. <laughs> it is trash. Um, but like, so I don't, I don't know what happened. So if I get this wrong, sorry. Um, but Jung wants to get his GED and like graduate university so that he can get, move forward. And then that kind of just like fizzles out. Like it, there's no progress on that. I would love to have seen like him graduate and, oh wait, maybe he did get his GED. 
I don't remember. Regardless, it was just like, now what? The whole purpose was to, you know, get a manager position or a higher paying role. And that never happened, especially in the later seasons when like he left the company and then came back and had to not be management. And he says, I remain fixated on the missed opportunities to show Asian characters with real depth and the ability to grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for that. I want to see more of that. Mm -hmm. I just want to see more, more nuanced, deep storylines for characters of color. And it's obvious to me that, you know, the writers are white. Well, and yeah, the producers and, must be white too. And that and that is a criticism that um, the co-star Jean Yoon, who plays Ama, um, says in a Twitter thread. She's like, "Oh well, the writers' room was all white, and they never asked us for input. But when push came to shove, and we got our scripts, like there were some really racist and inappropriate storylines that we had to push back on and say, we're not doing this because it's racist.' And so then the writers would finally relent. Um, I feel it sounds tell tell me something that feels like CBC but is not CBC (laughs) (laughs) it's so true true. and and to be fair for once CBC is not embroiled in this issue this is between um, the actors and the producers and mm-hmm. what happens, we're, we're getting a really good veil lifted about what ha- happens in those rooms to produce what is produced. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like, you know, as Simu says in like his original Facebook post is that, you know, you've got a whole slew of Asian actors um, and like even one to come on in guest roles or like side characters who you can absolutely ask for storylines and, you know, fact check and be like, oh, this is the story we're and like, make it a more collaborative process instead yeah. of very like white supremacy. Like I know better. I'm, I'm the writer. You're the actor. Yeah. 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 I agree. And, and like, like, I know for a fact that like, Andrea, who plays Janet, has so, like some very interesting things to include. Mm-hmm. And um, Simu went to high school with our friend Adrian uh, at the Globe and Mail. So you know these people have stories; they have have real experiences, and you know um, they've had they've worked in other places too. It's not like this was their only job and their only experience in the industry. I just, I guess, to me, this sounds like every workplace in this country. Mm. I was like, oh, it sounds like work. Right. Which is a sad state of affairs for work. And not saying that as to be flippant. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the whole point is this is not just a Hollywood or Canadian TV problem. It's literally a Canadian organizational problem. I don't care Mm. which one from right and yeah it's not just canadian but we're here in canada and that's what we're talking about yeah you know yeah yeah it just 
you know, and he goes on to say that like they weren't paid very well compared to um, Shit's Shit's Creek. Um, now, see, that's the one I think they called it horse poop pay. Yeah, that the the show began to do well. Yeah, and after the first season, it became a hit, and I think like a lot of this post kind of reads to me like a letter to your younger self Mm. you know like for example you know they're gonna offer you shit because we didn't band together to demand shit right well and famously that's what happened like yes I get getting a bad rate when you first start because you don't know people don't know you they don't know the show you don't know the show and how it's good yeah but that's famously um, what happened on Friends when the cast yeah. was all like, we're, we're all negotiating together and we're all making the same rate because yeah. this the show cannot function without everyone here. And so, you know, it, I, I do think like part of it was like of on their, like the actors, like the cast's fault for like, not taking that approach but again like when you're inexperienced how do you really know better exactly and and when like people are saying well you're not x and you're not y and like constantly comparing you to you know the the eugene levies and the and the catherine o'hares who have had very long successful careers and who are already household names so i'm not expecting them to like make the same amount of money as them, but still. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, the whole comparison with Schitt's Creek is an apt comparison. They came out around the same time, both very successful shows on CBC, um, both on Netflix, which, which is an important part of the story Absolutely. in terms of distribution, which is why I just don't get Catherine Tate's idea of success um, for CBC. But um, also, they were kind of like CBC does well or CBC offerings do well when they're not your typical show, right? So if you think of Little Mosque on the Prairie Mm. or um, these two shows, it just seems like the diversity that Canada is really, really trying harder to push now because, you know, some atrocities came up. Um, This inclusion that Canada is, this is the way that Canada does diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. It does it in a very white supremacist way. We're whites. We have the power. You you are then forced to act out interpretations of your identity that are familiar to us. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, like, whatever stupid ass um, stereotypes are going to come out in that writing... And so for me, I would have loved to get into more of the city dynamics over time, their, their connection with Toronto. Cause I think Toronto is really interesting mm-hmm. as a city of neighborhoods, basically. Absolutely. So how do they 
connect to the neighborhood? How do they? And it's just that the other thing too is that we have more expectations for TV shows now. You know, um, I watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch. You know, you're very pop culture too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we talk about things, you know, we're talking about it just on a on a level more than, oh, did you get that joke? He he he. Yeah. Right. And so he's right. There was a real opportunity, but at the same time, is it really right to expect the white people to even recognize? When I say right, is it prudent to have them recognize that opportunity and try to fill it? Mm-hmm. Or perhaps their job is to make space for that shit to happen. And yeah. I think that's what we're saying. Yeah. And like in a, I forget if it was a second Facebook post or if he posted on Instagram, but Simu then went on to say like the whole experience taught him about power dynamics mm-hmm. and how people can wield power because this was just done, like you said, in a very white supremacist way. That was not what he said. Let me just be very clear. He did not say white supremacy, but following, like pulling on that thread that Erica had started, like it's very much like we know better than you and we are telling you what to do instead of like I had previously mentioned, making it a collaborative effort and providing a platform for these stories to be told from a very uniquely Canadian lens because the Canadian immigrant experience is extremely different from the American immigrant experience. It definitely is. Um, You know, first of all, I mean, British imperialism puts a whole different slant on stuff. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with Asian communities over history um, is a little bit different. Like, there's just a lot that's different and it would have been nice to explore those nuances too in the show. But again, it goes back to, am I just expecting people who just don't have the range as white people to do something that maybe we should be doing? But then again, I'm like, damn, this is hard, complicated work. We're tired, you know? So, so like I'm stuck between those two things. Yeah. And I think this goes back to something, a conversation we were having before we started recording, which is just like, there's a lot of like white fragility in it too. It's not yeah. even necessarily white supremacy, right? White supremacy. It's, there's also a level of fragility is like, oh, this work is like, I take ownership of it and I don't like criticism of it. And who are you to tell me that my work is wrong? Right. 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 But it's wrong. <laughs> I know what to tell you. Saying. Um, so if you haven't watched Kim's Convenience, like definitely do it. So like I, I am in a Facebook group that talks about TV shows and someone was like, oh, like I started watching Kim's Convenience and like I really liked it, but I want to watch a show that is similar, but less racist. And so like I commented on it and I was like, just to be clear, like the whole hullabaloo over the show is not that the show itself is racist. It's that there were racist things happening that were then prevented from happening because people intervened. 
so like don't watch the show because you've heard that there's racism about it like related mm-hmm. to it because the show itself isn't racist it's yes it's, it's very charming it's but it was stunted from its greatness yeah. because of ignorance and who's in the writing room and who's who's producing it basically yeah and like i so i saw the original play when it came through ottawa in like 2012 maybe oh really 2013 yeah oh okay it was so good it was so good i just like sat at the national arts center and just like cried silently beside my friend (laughs) it's so funny though because like as i was watching it like and I was like very sad. I thought of my friend Andrea, who then went on to play Janet. <laughs> right. So that right. was weird. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I. You know what I think is funny that you do everything on Facebook but post on Facebook. I'm yeah. like, when you were like, I'm in a Facebook group. I'm like, you're in a what? <laughs> <laughs> I've got one for TV. Well, they're podcasts, like groups for no, podcasts. No, 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 no. I'm to. not saying I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. It's just that, like, you like other people's posts. You never post. No, no, you're actually not missing any of Aaron's posts. No, there are none. No, no. I save all my really deep thoughts about like abbreviations for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. <laughs> where we'll talk about more racism. Woo woo! Uh, what a never yeah, ending. I know. Never ends. All right. For us. It's great. You know what? It's good for business. <laughs> Apparently. It is it is actually. Um all right. So until next time. Bye. bye.